With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Everybody. Welcome to episode 52 of the Bomber Brothers Podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan here to talk us through a, a tough day and what was supposed to be opening day. It was also supposed to be the Sweet 16 in March Madness. So this was supposed to be one of personally my favorite days of the of the sports year. So obviously there's way more important things going on right now. So it's really not the kind of tragedy I make it out to be, but still it's, it's a bummer not to have that, but we do have some stuff to help us get through it. We talked to Kylie McDaniel this week about his prospect lists on ESPN plus, which you can find over there and also talked to him about his upcoming book, future value, which he wrote with Aaron, Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs. That'll be out in a few weeks. So that was a really good, insightful interview that we're going to play for you in a second but uh sean how are you dealing with waking up which is normally one of the most exciting sports days of the year and is just now continued darkness yeah i I don't know opening day is one of those days where you just kind of jump out of bed and i don't know like while you're getting ready i love to read all the all the game day stuff just because it's opening day and it feels different but you know you can see i got my yankee hat on i think i'll i think i'll be rocking the the yankee jersey uh during my zoom meetings today for my job to make sure that everybody knows i'm representing but um yeah it's man it feels empty now like now it feels real and uh it stinks but it's what's necessary to to keep people healthy which is more important to me um is making sure people are healthy out there rather than uh, me getting to watch baseball. So I understand it um, and agree with it, but yeah, definitely feel, uh, feel sad today. Yeah. That's a, that's probably the best word to describe it. It's just sad understanding, but, but sad. So 
luckily we do have Kylie to help us uh, get through another week. We are still going to do our new weekly uh, series look uh, season look back, which will be on 2017 today. Uh, we're going to talk to Kylie first, but any other uh, current events that are hard to come by nowadays in the baseball world that you wanted to touch on before we uh, talk to Kylie? Well, I've just been playing a, a lot of the show as we were talking about before we started recording. Um, and I mean, that's, that's really it. I'm excited. I, I thought the conversation with Kylie, even though I had some technical difficulties, could only listen and couldn't talk, but I thought it was really good and makes me feel happy about the future of the Yankees. I just hope we get our Yankees back at some point. And, uh, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, but I don't, I'm surprised what Mariano said about like a 60 or whatever game season, not counting, but dude, I mean, if we have to play a 40 game season, I don't care. Just give me baseball whenever you can. And whenever it's safe, even if, you know, if you have to start with like a ridiculous, like round Robin tournament or something, just give us some baseball this year. Uh, if, if it's safe to play and, and that's fine. I, you know, I think it's kind of silly that people are so hung up on the length of the, the regular season because you see what happens in the postseason, the, the best team doesn't always win. Like, you know, <laughs> they could have played a 500 game season and it wouldn't change the outcome of, of the World Series last year with the Nationals going from a wild card team to, to beating the, the team that had the best record in the American League and the Astros. So, you know, getting hung up on on the on the regular season when the playoffs over time, as they've expanded, have diminished the regular season period is kind of silly to me. I mean, I don't know about you, but in the years between like 96 and 2007, the regular season was just sort of a, yeah, whatever. It's the regular season. It's what I enjoy. It's what I like, but you don't live and die by every game. Not every game is important because there's some teams you just know are going to make it and some that aren't. So the playoffs is like when it gets really intense. And if the integrity of the playoffs are intact, then the integrity of the champion is intact. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I still think 60 games is a fine enough sample size to at least get most of the good teams in into the playoffs. Obviously, what's fun about a baseball regular season is the marathon aspect of it, and you really do see who has the most depth and talent. But if if baseball were to come back and say, you know, in a couple months, like, hey, we're back, we want to play a season, it's not going to look like a normal one, but it's going to be 60, 60 games and then we'll have our normal playoffs, I would be ecstatic because the alternative and at least part of the outlook right now is that maybe there might not even be baseball at all if this doesn't improve. So I don't think me or any other baseball fan would care that much if MLB came back and said it was going to have a significantly shorter schedule for the sake of at least salvaging some kind of season because we want to watch. And I also don't think if the 94 strike and all the and the stoppage of play that resulted bled further into the '95 season, and the let's say the Yankees um, hold on in Game Five of the ALDS and wind up winning the World Series. I don't. I probably don't think Mariano's saying anything like this. Um, once you hold that World Series trophy and win the World Series, I'm sure everyone who's a part of that feels like a champion, and they'll be officially crowned champions by MLB. So, I really. Uh, I really don't think once, if and when the season starts, if it's significantly shorter, that this is something too many people are going to be caught up on. Yeah, I, I, I don't as well. I mean, you don't hear anybody talk about the Heat first championship because it was in a shortened season, not counting, or 
who, who won the Stanley Cup in 2013? The Bruins? Uh, no. Um, I don't whoever, remember. Whoever won in 2013. It might have been the year. The, the, was that the Blackhawks? Blackhawks beat the Bruins in uh, in seven but um, or six, whatever it was. But nobody talks about that being cheaper. It cheapened. So, yeah, it's, it is what it is. It's a, you know, you play your regular season. You have the postseason. And you go from there. You make the best out of a bad situation. That's what everybody has to do right now. Um, so, yeah, that's it. But, I mean, Yankees have a lot to look forward to when they get back. And, you know, we talked to Kylie. Or you talked to Kylie about that. I just listened in the background. Yeah, so we can play that for everyone right now. We'll take a very quick break. And then after that... Um Kylie McDaniel of ESPN. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody. We're joined now by Kylie McDaniel. You can see his work on ESPN. Uh, used to be over at Fangraphs. Also has a book coming out, Future Value, with Eric Longenhagen of, of Fangraphs. Kylie, thanks so much for, for coming on and talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you recently um, released your Top 100 Prospects and now your rankings of the organizational prospects. The Yankees came in at fifth on your list and they were near the bottom when you did that list at Fangraphs last year. They've they've been fluctuating pretty severely in recent years. They were near the bottom. Then the 2016 trade deadline happened, and then they were near the top. Now a lot of guys have already moved on to the major leagues, but now they seem to be climbing that list again. Just how much was that rise due to just simply adding Jason Dominguez and, and how much of it was some of those lower-level guys that are starting to develop and more people are taking notice? Uh, so I just pulled it up. Uh, at this time last year, when I was at Vanguard, uh, when we ranked the organization, the Yankees were 27th, and that was you know doing as objective of a method as we can do, where we you know rank everyone by tiers, and then there's a dollar value that applies to each prospect in those tiers, and we came up with 27th. And you know they were within a prospect or two from being 23rd. It's not like we were trying to put them at the bottom, uh, but because the the way that the sort of math works with like how teams and also the math that we used at Vanguard, and I've now started using at ESPN values these prospects it's the ones that are in the top 100 to 150 are valued much higher than i think a casual fan would think like um for instance you could have uh 40 players in sort of the bottom tier of that's on your list so like you know 40 players in that 20 to 30 range for most team lists uh would be equivalent to you know one player at the very top of the top 100 and i don't think people think that it's actually 40 but it is like 40 or 35 or something like that um, so because the Yankees didn't have uh, a lot of guys at the very top of the rankings, they had just, um, you know, we had one guy as a 50 feature value on the list last year, Davey Garcia. Um, he moved up to a 55 for me at ESPN, and obviously Jason Dominguez, the only, as far as we know, 55 feature value in recent memory um, as a July 2 you know, international player. Adding those two guys, like, just on its own, added, like, $67 million, um, to their farm system, and... Right now, with uh, with me having them at um, fifth on the ESPN rankings, that sixty or seventy million from just adding Dominguez versus not adding him, and then Garcia getting better takes you from like seventeenth to fifth. 
Um, so they were in like that glut of teams where if you decide to make a couple trades where you dump a big leaguer and get some good minor leaguers, you can move up a few spots. And those two moves alone, and there were obviously a number of other players lower down the system, um, which we had pointed out at Fangraphs, was uh, almost half teenagers. And no other team was over about 20 25%. So it was just a high-variant system. And if just a couple of those guys make a big step forward, it doesn't matter if the other ones fall off completely because the value of them when at the bottom of the list is very low. Um, so we thought it was likely that they would jump. And Fangraph hasn't done their, hasn't completed all the lists and has put up all of their um, rankings yet. But I would imagine they'll end up with the Yankees in a similar spot. Um, I put them because we're using a very um, similar process. Um, so in reality, I think what accounts for most of that is not the bulk or the guys outside of the top 10 or 15. It's basically how many guys get into top 100 consideration. And if just a few of them do it, if you're in the right position, which the Yankees were, you could move up 10 or 15 spots because of just a couple of players. And, and Jason Dominguez, now one of the most hyped pr- prospects in the Yankees system and, and one of the youngest. He's one of the most talked about international prospects in, in recent memory. Like like you said, you have his future value at a 55. Do you do you see that number rising as he rises up the minor league ranks? And, and obviously it's still so early, but just what do you see for him in terms of living up to this hype, at least in his first couple years in the minor leagues? Yeah, he's a 39th on my top 100 um, at ESPN Plus right now. And usually what will happen throughout the year is as, you know, the top 10 to 20 prospects, you know, half of them will probably lose eligibility um, this year. Well, typically would in a given year. I guess we'll see if that ends up happening this year. But typically, if he just meets expectations exactly, which would be, you know, playing in the GCL and then playing a little bit in the Athlete League, having league average-ish numbers, he would kind of hold serve in terms of prospect value. Uh, 10 or 15 guys ahead of him would graduate and he would move up 10 or 15 spots. Um, so he's at 40 now. I would probably set his over-under on what he'll be at this time next year at, you know, 30 or so. Um, just uh, if you were if you were to maybe fall just short of expectations and not that many guys graduate, it might be sort of like the 50 percentile outcome. Um, but I think he and a handful of other players that are in the you know top 30 or 40 prospects that are um, low minors, teenagers, huge tools, not a ton of performance yet, they obviously all have the upside to go to the very top of the ranking. So, like, the teenagers that are ahead of him, other than Wander Franco, who's obviously already number one, would be um, Julio Rodriguez um, with Seattle, um, C.J. Abrams and Bobby Witt, um, the two high schoolers that went at the top of this past draft, uh, Christian Robinson with Arizona, and then you have Dominguez, um, and Marco Luciano um, as well, who I skipped over somehow. Um so those are like sort of the candidates to two years from now when they are 20 and they're at double A and they're performing and they have these elite tools. Those are the candidates to be at the very top of the top 100 along with, you know, the guy that will go number one in this year's draft and draft after that, and that, that sort of thing. Those are, those are our best sort of guesses at, um, at who, those, who those elite elite prospects will be a couple years from now. And another Yankee prospect that cracked your top 100 was pitcher Clark Schmidt, and he really impressed in, in spring training. It was obviously an abbreviated sample because spring training was canceled, but he showed some top-flight stuff. And just what what do you see as his role if and when this season begins? And I guess what's your outlook for him in, in the immediate future, just given where he's at right now and, and what he showed in spring training? Yeah, he, uh, I mean, obviously given some of the Yankees' injuries, um, if when we start playing baseball, there are still some pitching injuries. He's like him and I guess David Garcia as well are at the top of the list of if there needs to be a long-term fill-in who is more than just the sixth or seventh starter, you know, uh, back at the 40-man type guy that can fill in and take some starts or bullpen days. These are the guys that can take those roles. 
Um, and where Davy Garcia is a little bit more slight of stature and might be a guy that kind of maxes out 150, 160 innings. Um, maybe gets used like a Lance McCullers role where you, you know, have him go five innings every five, six days, uh, might have to sit it down for a little bit and maybe, maybe put him in two or three inning stints in the playoffs. Um, Clark Schmidt, even though he had a Tommy John surgery is more of that conventional, um, starter with like the, uh, the more workhorse build. Uh, and the spring is, I mean, he's another good example, even though he's not like the pretty typical like toolsy teenager he is now um removed from that Tommy John he's had half of a um, season uh, 2019 coming off of surgery and then this year you know sort of everything's full bore um his stuff progressed uh he's flashing a plus fastball in the mid 90s he's always had a plus slider um the command is now back to where it was the curveball and changeup are back it's you know a number three starter profile um and it's like i said with the Tommy John him being 24 and have only pitched three games above high A, it's not like a prototypical top prospect profile. Um, but I think we know that there's, you know, plenty of pitchers in the big leagues that are, you know, number one, or number two starters with weird arm actions or that have had arm surgery or any number of things. And so, you know, getting there and being an inventory arm for the big leagues at age 24 with a chance to be like a real, um, you know, cornerstone core guy going forward, like that's still a very valuable prospect. And, and you mentioned Debbie Garcia, 45th on, on your top 100 list. He's a name Yankees fans have been hearing about for a while right now and, and, and still only 20 years old. Do you think he can eclipse that current outlook of a Lance McCullers type five innings of work? Or do you think maybe his ceiling is a, a back end of the rotation or, or a long arm in the bullpen? Well, I think the interesting thing about his profile, so obviously when you're, you know, when you're looking at prospects and you see, you know, like Nate Pearson, it's like huge guy, uh, you know, hasn't had a lot of like injury issues in terms of like arm soreness and whatnot since high school and projects to be the, you know, like one guy mentioned, like Roger Clemens. It's like, he sort of looks like that in a build. You would think, Hey, this guy throws a hundred miles an hour. Um, he's, you know, big, strong guy that can throw 220 innings, like all, all this, you know, checks all the boxes and obviously prospects. It doesn't always go the way you want it to, but you'd rather have that guy with the big, strong build and the big stuff and not an injury history, but there's just not that many of those guys. And if you're trying to then say, all right, well, you can only, you can't have all those qualities. You have to you know, give some of those qualities back. Um, what sort of prospect do you want with the Yankees and with, I think sort of progressive contending big market teams in general, the Lance McCullers, the Rich Hill, um, those sorts of guys where in the regular season it might be a two, like, low three-win type guy. Like, he's definitely important, but not one of your top five players on a playoff team. But then when you get in the playoffs, having that guy that you can use in all kinds of different roles, you can use in back-to-back days, you can get up a spot star, you can close, you can do that thing McCullers did in the playoffs, just coming in for 20 straight breaking balls. Like, you can do all kinds of things. And in the playoffs, you don't need a bulk starter that gives you 220 league average innings. That guy isn't that useful in the playoffs. The guy that can give you, you know, nine innings spread throughout the entire series of well above average performance, and you can use him in a bunch of different roles, that guy is more valuable. Um, so I think in the same way that you could, you know, talk about like load management with basketball players or, you know, like a money quarterback that's good in the playoffs, but might not put up huge numbers in the regular season in football. I think Davey Garcia and then further guys like Rich Hill or Lance McCullers or whoever it is, they sort of fit where baseball is going now and what big market teams and what contending teams need in terms of pitching depth is not the guy that can be mediocre for a long time. It's the guy that can be dynamic in short stints, and that's what Davey Garcia is. So I think his value, especially to those sorts of teams, which obviously the Yankees are, is higher than you would think, um, and that if you can take away one element from sort of an ideal pitching prospect for the Yankees, it might actually be like the durability and all that, because you, you don't need seven pitchers that can throw 200 innings. You only need like three or four of them. 
And then we have another Yankee on the top list, Alexander Vargas, an 18-year-old shortstop. Uh, just what, what do you think? He, obviously, still so early, just 18 years old. But what do you see as his outlook? I, I know there were. Um, I know you mentioned how he needs to add more power, but do you see the, Yan- um, the Yankees hanging on to Vargas and then seeing what he becomes, or could he be used as a potential trade tip, trade chip to maybe help the team win in the short term? The sort of posture that Brian Cashman has taken um, with the farm system is if there is a guy that projects to be, um, you know, I guess what we would call it, the scouts would call it like a roll five. So, you know, setup guy, low end closer, fourth starter, low end regular hitter. Those sorts of guys aren't as useful to the Yankees. Uh, but other teams, especially, you know, a team like the Rays, if they can get a, a um, league minimum player that will be a two win, you know, left fielder, they're all over it. For the Yankees, that guy probably doesn't start unless there's a bunch of injuries. Um, so like Mike Taupman, like he's probably not a core player going forward, but last year they needed him. So they had him. It's good to have those guys. But, um, when that guy can get you someone that, you know, on in their walk year that can help you in a playoff run, the guy in a playoff run that's a better player, but you have less control over him. That's a more useful player. And so it seems like looking, you know, through like where they have used their, uh, their bullets or their resources, uh, in the farm system and in signing amateur players, it's, if you are 22, 23, 25, at the upper levels, we think you're a role four or a role five, kind of a role player. You are expendable if we can get something good for you. We'd like to have you around, but we don't need you. The guys that are potential role sixes and role sevens, all-star players, impact guys, but are teenagers, long way off, rookie ball, things like that, um, those are the guys they hold on to. They haven't really traded any of those guys that have that potential. I mean, they've traded some young players, but they haven't traded those kinds of young players. And Vargas, uh, actually, when I was working with Fangraphs, Eric Logan was at the GM meetings and asked Brian Cashman specifically about Alex Vargas. And his eyes kind of lit up, and he goes, oh, yeah, a bunch of people asked for him at the trade deadline, which is a good – it's a thing that uh, we have used uh, in the past for doing these prospect lists is teams don't lie to us or, I guess, now to ESPN and me about who gets asked for a trade because they know we can go ask around, and if they say a bunch of people ask for this guy in a trade, we can go ask three teams, and if they say, yeah, we don't want that guy, then it's like, all right, now I can't trust anything that guy says at the team going forward. Um, a bunch of teams asked for Alexander Vargas, and he had only played in the GCL for eight games last year, so they were scouting him in the DSL. Um, so, uh, excuse me, played a little bit in the DSL and then more in the GCL. Um but after a handful of games in the GCL, he was already getting attention at the trade deadline. Um, so that gives you an idea of how quickly uh, a guy that, when he was signed, was 140-something pounds, is now up to 160-something pounds. Uh, the, the concern was, would he be in rookie ball for two or three years trying to put on weight, trying to make sure the back doesn't get knocked out of his hands? Very quickly, after not spending much time in the DSL and getting sent to the States, it was clear that that was not an issue. And so now it, you know, is potentially plus hit, plus speed, plus glove, plus arm, and then enough power to hit a mistake. Um, and that could be, you know, Cattell Marte, that could be a low end regular, that could turn into Carlos Correa. Like it's so young and sort of his physicality can go in so many different directions. You don't really know where it's going to go, but it could be elite. And so to answer your question, that's the kind of guy the Yankees don't really trade right now. You, you mentioned the Rays. They are at the top of your prospect list. Of course, having Wander Franco doesn't hurt that um, for them. So just how worried should the Yankee fans be about the Rays' future outlook? And, and how long do you think it is until we see Wander Franco terrorizing the Yankees and, and the rest of the American League East? It, it seems like they're already not too far off. Just a couple unfortunate injuries for the Yankees. And Fangraphs already has that projection closing in between the Rays and Yankees in the ALE. So just how much of a force can the Rays be 
in this division moving forward while these young stars are still young and, and it's not time to, you know, start settling in arbitration and start paying these guys yet? So I think uh, one big way to tell how the industry sees the job that Tampa is doing, uh, spending, you know, bottom five payroll every year um, and being able to, you know, just in terms of big league wins, um, be near the top of the league, but also in terms of like personnel, prospect rankings, you know, how good the projected team is, how much control there is on each of these players. Um, there have been four executives that have left, I think, in the last five or six years. Uh, you have Andrew Friedman, who was running Tampa, is now running the Dodgers. Um, uh, you have Hein Bloom, who left Tampa and is now running the Red Sox. You have James Click, who just left the Rays and is now running Houston. And then you have Matt Arnold, who was a couple notches down from GM and is now the number two in Milwaukee and is getting GM interviews for other teams. So you have four executives in, uh, in under the last eight years. So basically every year or two, they're losing one of their top guys because their process in terms of listening to scouts while also doing everything you can do analytics-wise, having a big staff, even though they don't have a lot of money, they're investing in people and in processes and in information. Uh, and the results, while you know not perfect, you can go pick out any you know signing or new trade or draft pick that hasn't quite worked out. But they are notably above average to very you know very good or well above average at almost everything. And being that good for this many years with this many impressive people adds up to they have basically as good, a better farm system than the Yankees, very close to as good of a team, and they have like a hundred less million dollars in payroll. Uh, and then all of these other teams, the owners are saying, hey, what team do we need to copy? And they, like, way more than any other team are saying the Rays. Um, so that should be scary in that they are, you know, I think clearly more efficient in what they do than the Yankees are, even though I think the Yankees are similarly good in a number of departments. That, like, I would say if I had to rank organizations in terms of, like, how good they are run top to bottom, the Rays are probably number one and the Yankees are, you know, third to fifth. Like, they're very close. Um, but the fact that the, the Rays are like blow for blow with the Yankees with so much less money should be scary, but that gap is never going to close. And so the Rays have zero margin for error and the Yankees have plenty. Um, so I wouldn't actually worry about them in terms of, you know, they're going to eat your lunch for the next five years. But the fact that they're even in, you know, in the cafeteria is kind of amazing. We're talking with Kylie McDaniel. You can catch all of his prospect work at ESPN. Also has a book coming out in a couple of weeks, Future Value. Can you just uh, talk about the book and then what people can expect when it releases on, I believe, April 14th? Uh, yeah, no, it's so the, I guess the, the quick pitch is um, the publisher told us, you know, uh, post Moneyball, um, there was a lot of worry among scouts that they would get replaced by analysts because that was sort of like the point of the book. And the opposite actually happened, which is teams realized that in a lot of areas, scouting reports were the most predictive numbers there were. Because if you're looking at on base percentage in rookie ball, it's like, well, a scout's going to notice a bunch of things that on base percentage, which good, is not going to tell you as many things. Whereas in AAA, the big leagues, on base percentage might tell you a bunch of things. Uh, the difference now is with StatCast, um, and TrackMan and Hawkeye, all these different technologies, all the stuff that the scout was noticing at these lower levels where he was more important than the scout, uh, than the um, statistics, these can now be quantified. And if you are inclined to want to make, you know, replace a scout with an analyst or replace 15 scouts with 15 analysts, um, teams now have the uh, justification to do that. Like you can make that case. Um, 
so Eric and I uh, make our case what we think like sort of the correct balance is or like where things have gone too far. But the basic structure of the book is we have three chapters where we go through um, the July 2nd international signing period and the draft and through a bunch of different stories of scouting directors telling us about like, you know, how they drafted current all-stars, current top prospects, Hall of Famers, these sorts of players. And then we talk about like stories that we've had and like different strategies and things like that. So that's like sort of the first section. The second section is if you don't know how to scout and you want to learn how to scout, we spend basically three chapters. It's almost 100 pages just telling you, you want to scout, here's how to do it. And there will be a companion website that has a bunch of videos that go along um, with that sort of guide. And then the last part would be talking about statistics. Um, so it's, you know, it goes all the way back to Grant Ricky stuff, up to Moneyball stuff, and now to like all the stuff that I guess, you know, the Yankees, the Astros, the Rays, these teams are all on the bleeding edge of. And the sort of numbers they're using to justify getting rid of scouts, like how um, how you can take a scouting report and essentially throw it out because the numbers say, you know, this to some teams. Um, and we cover that for about three chapters. And at the end of that, which is the end of the book, we sort of like come to some conclusions and sort of give some best practices and ideas. So we try to really like run the gamut of if you are a casual fan or a huge fan or you're inclined to prefer analytics or prefer scouting or you want to become a scout or you want to work in a front office. Like we just sort of had all the stuff that we think would be interesting in that general area. Fascinating stuff. That's Kylie McDaniel. You can catch his prospect work at ESPN Plus and be on the lookout for his new book, Future Value. Should be a great way to get us through this baseball list time. Kylie, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us, and I'm really looking forward to reading the book. Yeah, and one uh, one last quick thing. Um, of the scouting directors that are uh, most featured and sort of talk the most about how they sign players and what their process is, uh, there is one of the Yankee scouting directors is one of those people. So there's like a lot of Yankee-specific stuff in there. Great. Even more reason for Yankee fans to go out and get that book. Again, that is out in a couple weeks. It's called Future Value. Kylie, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, huge thanks again to Kylie McDaniel. Again, everyone keep an eye out for his book, Future Value. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a really good read, and it'll be out in a couple weeks. Perfect way to help us... Uh, quench some of our baseball thirst while there's no other baseball to be had and um you know on top of that sean i think uh i think talking to kylie certainly um gave you a sense of excitement about the yankees system as a whole which you already knew was was strong but it's certainly uh among the top in baseball yeah and i think um you know we all know the job that Cashman did in turning the whole system around and starting to protect players and, and things like that. And um, even with them trading out a lot of guys in past years, they like, I think Kylie mentioned that they've never traded like those top elite guys. And, um, you know, I, I think that bodes well for Cashman for the future of the team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there was also a little fear involved because you just, realize just how good the rays are and how much better they could potentially become and um, that is something scary about a a 60 game season is that there's a little more parity involved so good really good teams that might not have the kind of depth and spending power as the yankees might be able to uh take a division in that kind of format so the rays are certainly I mean, even if it was a 162-game season, the Rays would pose a threat just because of how good they are. But if, if there's a shortened season, the Rays have an even, but I think, you know, barring any injuries, an even better chance of, of taking the division. 
Well, that's that's what worries me about the race period is just how deep they are. And I mean, I know it's not in their M.O., but if they ever decide to pull off a big trade, they have the 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 prospect capital to do it. I mean, they could have gotten a, a Mookie bets done with their farm system. They would just have to absorb that salary. So if their ownership is ever like, you know what, there's a guy who is not um, who's not a free agent who's still under arbitration for two years and teams looking to shop him. We're going to unload our prospects and we'll just pay the arb price for two years. It's not a long-term commitment and give our fans two years of that. Like, think about how scary they would be if they pulled the trigger on like a Lindor move or a, uh, a Mookie Betts move in addition to all the players that they have in the rotation. Like I kind of just feel like they're, they're sitting there in the weeds and they're, they always have the possibility of taking us down. Like they worry me a lot more than the Red Sox. Um, the Red Sox do because of uh, the way the Red Sox are going about their business. They're just not meant for that where the Rays are. Um, and yeah, I think the Yankees are a better team. And obviously the smaller the sample size, the less chance you have of that playing out. So a shorter season does um, increase the odds that it doesn't play out that way. All right. Well, um, the beginning or like the official first full year of the Yankees kind of um, flexing, their youth and and the replenishing of their system was 2017 and that was the year you picked today to kind of do our look back on where we kind of get more in depth with each season and talk about some of the moments that maybe aren't talked about as much as some of the more classic ones that appear on every highlight reel so I guess uh, you picked the season so do you want to you want to start us off here as we look back on what really what's been what was one of the most I know it didn't result in a World Series, but it really was one of the most fun seasons that I've lived through as a Yankee fan, which is saying something considering we've seen them win five World Series. Why, Ryan, I thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll lead off. And, I, I, you know, I, I was thinking about how I wanted to talk about this season. And I think we have to actually start the day after A-Rod retires. We're both at the 96 championship. And this is kind of why I wanted to do the transition from 96 to 2017. In 2016, they have the 96 championship celebration. And that's all well and good. But they bring up Aaron Judge on that day. And Tyler Austin as well. And you have Gary Sanchez in the lineup. And, and in one of the coolest things I've ever seen at, at in the history of my just watching baseball, Austin and Judge go back to back in a belly to belly in the first career at bats. Um, and I just remember and I was talking to my wife about this when I was talking about doing the episode when uh, Austin's is, you know, a Yankee Stadium home run. Still great for him. Great story. And then Judge hits one off the frickin' restaurant. And I remember when he hit that ball, just like I was so shocked and so excited. I hadn't felt that way in so long. I hadn't seen a baseball player hit a ball like that. Like for the I've never seen a Yankee crush a ball like that. And it was just like, we have something here. And then then you get August Gary for the first time in 2016. And that was the first time in a long time where even though I knew they probably weren't going to make the playoffs that year, I wanted to get to the ballpark to see these guys because these players are starting to get me really excited. And I don't know if you felt the same way, but um, as we ended 2016 and rounded into 2017, I, for the first time, felt a strong connection to some of the players because we had been hearing about. And I mean, you have to go back to the time we had been hearing about Greg Bird. Aaron Sanchez, Luis Severino, Gary Sanchez, uh, Gary Sanchez, sorry, Aaron judge, even Tyler Austin, right. For, for a while. And 
now these guys were coming up, it was much more exciting than than the McCann, uh, Beltron. Um, who else did they have in that era? That that you know that. Jacoby Ellsbury teams, even though Jacoby Ellsbury was still on the team, like these teams, this team was led by a, a more fun group. And, um, I, I was really excited. And then you kick off 2017, by the way, Jacoby Ellsbury had the first RBI of 2017, just, just FYI. <laughs> and all of a sudden Severino emerges as this ace, like the, the guy that we saw in 2015. And, and we're off to the races. So I'm just curious, like, how did did you feel going into 2017 like hope? Or, like, were you excited for the team? Did you think, oh, they're still rebuilding? I mean, I just I didn't think they were going to have a good year, but I thought we were going to see a lot of growth out of some young players, sort of like how I felt about the Rangers, New York Rangers this year. And then they surprise and they they get into the mix. But how did you feel going into the season, coming out of what happened in 2016? I feel like I kind of felt a slightly more optimistic way of how I felt coming into watching the Knicks this year. When I come into watching the Knicks this year, I'm like, all right, this team is going to do absolutely nothing, but at least I'm going to get to watch R.J. Barrett in his rookie year. Hopefully guys like Frank Nielakina get more playing time and that Kevin Knox progresses in his second year. That's basically how I felt. I, you know, Obviously, I had the same awe and excitement watching Judge hit that home run in, in person and by the way, sometimes when you're at the stadium and, and a ball gets hit in the air, just based on your vantage point, you don't you try not to get too excited right away because sometimes a lot of balls in the air could wind up being routine fly balls and just the trajectory from where you're sitting makes it look like it could be a home run. That was one where as soon as it left the bat, you knew like, holy shit, that ball was crushed. Um, so I was excited to see him, but he he was coming off a season where he struck out 50% of his at-bats and had a season-ending injury. So I was kind of just prepared to see a little more improvement in terms of wins and losses and then just genuine excitement to watch Judge and Sanchez. And and that was really it. And then obviously it turned into something so much better and so much more exciting. And um, it didn't take long to kind of show that this team was going to be a lot better than most people thought. Yeah, my wife got me the um, an Aaron Judge jersey for the Christmas between the 2016 and 2017 seasons. And I was kind of like, hmm, <laughs> I appreciated it. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I'm kind of curious why she didn't get me a Gary Sanchez one. Like Sanchez had the crazy August, but, you know, whatever. My wife got it for me. So I, I wore it. Man, what a great gift that wound up being. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, they, they get into the season. And I think going into it, I don't know about – like one of the big concerns – was the rotation because they had Tanaka who was coming off a decent year, Pineda, who, you know, you can never trust. Um, CC who, you know, had a decent year the year before, but not great. You didn't know what you were going to get out of Severino. And, uh, they, they managed to make it work because they, they have this bullpen that has Chad green in it. Dellen Batances has a monster, year for the most part and and i mean aaron judge becomes aaron judge and that's that's the most that's the story of the 2017 season to me is just aaron judge oh yeah absolutely i mean he had an otherworldly season one that we've been hoping to see again since it happened i mean it was it was ridiculous finished with an ops plus of 171 that year and i mean it, 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 it began right away too which was what was so fun about it i mean his his wrc plus in 
March and April was 199 and then dropped all the way to 188 in May <laughs> and then in June up to 206 and then he has some struggles in July and August as he's dealing with that shoulder issue and then mm-hmm. has his best month of the season in September after everyone had thought maybe some people had maybe some pitchers had figured him out yeah i think i think there were there were two turning points in the season for the better for the yankees and they both involved judge hitting home runs and one is the you know they get off to the to the kind of rough start and that game in baltimore um, where they're losing and then judge winds up hitting a big home run. And the, then they have the big comeback in Baltimore that kind of gets them going. They win the home opener the next day with judge hitting a home run in the home opener, I believe. And, and away we go. The other big turning moment is they have the, the bad August. I remember the Indians just beat them up real bad, uh, in the middle of August there swept them in a four game series, I believe. I think was that the series when like Sonny Gray and kept, kept getting bit by the Yankees, just making so many errors after right shortly after they got him. Yeah, it was around that time. And then Boston rolls in the first weekend in September and the Yankees are what five back, maybe something like that. And they split the first two games and then it's Chris sale versus Severino on Sunday night baseball. And one of the, I, I was, I went to that game. I was so excited to see this matchup and the Yankees just beat the heck out of them. And, and Aaron judge caps it off by hitting a bomb halfway up the bleachers. And then he's Aaron judge again after the shoulder injury and just goes nuts in September. And it's like the team got its mojo back just in time for the playoffs and to make this crazy run just Boston happened to play well that month. Otherwise they would have caught them for the division, but judging that home run in Baltimore starts the season off on the right note. Well, I mean, changes the season like that early kind of thing. Like we saw in 98 where they flipped the page and write a good book, so to speak. And then in September, he snaps them out of this funk with this bomb. And then they, they get going again. And just like those two moments really uh, change everything. And it's so funny when I was thinking about the storylines from that spring training, Think about it. It was Aaron Judge versus Aaron Hicks because Ellsbury had center field locked up. And think about how much that battle winds up not mattering because Judge gets the job. Ellsbury is Ellsbury. So then they wind up going with Hicks in uh, in center field. And, um, you know, it winds up being one of the better trades the Yankees have ever made. And uh, and away we go. Yeah, away we go is right. So, um, what what are some of the moments that stick out to you in the early parts of the season? I'm, I'm sure we'll probably have the same one when it comes to the first month of the season. Um, I don't know if this happened in the first month, but I think the win against the Orioles, where they had the crazy comeback, yeah, where Ellsbury hits the grand slam, that was late and, April. Yeah, I think I think. Cone has one of the all-time best calls when Cash Starlin Castro, who had a great year. I mean, he hit 300 um, with a 106 OPS plus. Castro hits a home run in the ninth to tie it, and then Holiday Matt Holiday, who had a really good first half until he got that bug. Uh, oh yeah, well Epstein Barr yeah, I think Epstein was Bar- the illness. And Holiday wins it, but I mean the the call that Cone has where he could, says you can do it, put your back into it. When Castro goes <laughs> down on one, that's one of my favorite Yankee highlights. With Castro going down to one knee to uh, tie the game to, and hit a home run, that that was so cool. And then Holiday wins it, but that's definitely one of my favorite early season moments. And then I think there was a series in Anaheim where Judge just went off, hit like a game winner on the road in like the eighth inning or something like that, that series. And that just kind of like, to me said, yeah, this guy's just not crushing pitching when he gets the opera, 
opportunity to. He's crushing pitching when it matters, and he's really good. And um, none of my favorite moments involve Chris Carter. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was... although there was that one game against Houston where he looked like he swung with his eyes closed and missed the ball by like five feet. Yeah. There, there was that. like that, that screenshot from Twitter. I remember. Um, yeah. What about you? The, well, the, yeah, obviously the game against, against the O's, um, and, and, you know, what lost in that was like, that was also the continuation of judge just going off because he, uh, didn't he, he hit two home runs that game. Yeah, and one of one of them was 119 miles an hour that went like 450 feet or something like yeah. that. It was um, at the time it was the hardest hit home run in, in the Statcast era, and that was just like the continuation of, um, like this quantifiable measuring of just how like ridiculously strong he is. And you know, I've always been interested in like advanced stats, but I mean, being a Yankee fan and watching Aaron Judge every day is like so much part of the reason like why I value those numbers so much because it's something tangible you know you always hear like oh the ball really jumps off his bat like judge when he when he hits when he hits one and you're just watching on tv and you see it smoked like I'm almost looking forward for them to like post the exit velocity same could be said with Stan but like you know talking 2017 like judge was at the height of this well, yeah, I think I think we were at the game too, where he set the record for the hardest hit home run, the one where they just destroyed the Orioles. Um, yeah, that was on photo, photo day. day. Yeah, yeah, but like that was another one where, like, as soon as he hit it, we were both we had really good seats, and to be able to see the ball travel off the bat, like we both started like refreshing, refreshing, refreshing Twitter to see what the the exit velo yeah. was on it because he just crushed that ball. Um, and and yeah, that was that was awesome. But you know, another Judge Homer that I remember was. Um, so he has the one against the Orioles. I think it's the day after that crazy win, the one where like Didi's like hanging out of the dugout laughing. Yep. He has the home run that he hits against the White Sox. That um, I forget who was it. They look actually like like scared in the dugout, almost like Dellen in the home <laughs> run derby, which we'll get to. Uh, but that was that was really good. And yeah, there was one at Safeco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was later in the season, though, right? Yeah. I think it was on like CeCe's birthday or something weird like that. Like it was somebody's birthday, I remember. Um, but yeah, that but he had some some classic bombs. And uh, yeah, did the uh, this might have happened in the second half. But the win where uh, Holiday hits the home run off of Kimbrel at Fenway and then they win in like 16 innings or whatever it was. I don't know if that was. Oh, first half yeah. Or second half, but that was a really good win. Um. And, and the team just kept finding ways to get it done because of their bullpen. And, you know, Tanaka would have these randomly huge starts where he'd come up big. I, didn't he beat Chris Sale one nothing at Fenway that year? Yeah. Like it, it was like the first time they played was, the Red Sox. That Stars. was early in the year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was like they did all the, like, these little things. Severino becomes this ace, and, and away we go. And it was it was awesome. And I don't know. Do you have anything else from the first half before we talk about the home run derby? Um, well, I'm glad, I'm really glad you brought up that angels game when judge hit that three run home run, because that was also another just like perfect summary of like how I felt about that season. Cause I was doing something at school that night and I remember like it was getting time for me to leave. And I, and I was like, you know, following along the game on my phone, I was like, Oh, like judges do up th- like this next thing. Like I'm going to drive home now so I can listen to it on the radio. And like, sure enough, he hits that. He hits that home run. It was a, it was a good call by John Sterling. It was not one of those where, where you were like, uh, 
worried about it not actually being a home run with judge you don't ever have no. to worry <laughs> <laughs> um so no that uh yeah that kind of perfectly uh summed up like just how much must see tv or must listen radio judge was in in 2017 yeah and uh they they end the first half with Clint Frazier hitting a walk-off in that series against, I think it was like the Padres were in a Yankee stadium or something. Somebody random was in, maybe the Brewers, but they had to, they, they were spots, you know, they, they went through their little scuffles and, and Frazier hits a, a home run to win, win a game right before the all-star break. And then we get the home run derby. And, uh, Oh, I think, before I did, no, I don't mean to cut you off. I did have another game, um, listed, um, the comeback at Wrigley. Oh yeah, yeah. Which we should talk about because they were down to their last strike, and then you know this is against the defending World Series champions, and it was still early in the season. It was still early May, and then Gardner crushes that ball. And I remember like such a storyline about the game was how cold and windy it was, and mm-hmm. like Gardner, I mean, he crushed that. It cut right through the wind. It went yeah. went out, and uh, and then. Um, Chapman closed it down, but that was that was one of the uh, that was one of the top games of the regular season. I thought, yeah, for sure. And I remember the storyline going into that series was, oh well, now we're going to find out if the Yankees are for real. And they sweep the they sweep the Cubs at at Wrigley. Uh, that last game is crazy. Oh yeah, obviously. But I I didn't stay up for that whole game. But um, yeah, I mean they go in there and they sweep them. It's just just incredible. Okay, now we can talk about the home run derby. Aaron Judge. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, that was one of the, the cooler uh, – I love the new Home Run Derby format. I love watching it no matter who's in it. Um, but to see – I mean, you had two Yankees in Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge participate that year. And just to see what he did and having Teixeira and um, having Teixeira on the broadcast and seeing Dellen's reaction as he's hitting those home runs – I mean, that kind of came, that was the moment the Yankees became the Yankees again, I feel like, where everybody's like, okay, these guys are scary and and we need to take them seriously. But I mean, to me, that was, aside from the postseason and a couple of the wins, that's probably the greatest moment from that year, which is crazy because it comes in an exhibition. Yeah, no, it's rarely do I go back and watch highlights from like all-star games and and home run derbies or, and rarely do moments from that stuff and and i enjoy that stuff i watch it all the time but um rarely do i go back and like point to those as as like moments that were among the best of this of a season overall but it definitely was in um it definitely was in 2017 because i mean so first of all even in even in the you didn't even think judge had was going to like strut away with the with the first round because i think it was it was justin Bohr who who like mashed mashed all those home runs and then like ate a donut after and it was in his home park and you were like oh shit like are we even gonna get a chance to see like an extended version of of judge and then he just goes on this tear and then it's like coming down to the wire and he almost like steps back into the box because he realizes like he has like an extra second and like hits another one out and um because didn't the one hit the ceiling or like the yeah. roof and it was like they didn't count it for some reason so he just steps back in real quick and, and hits another one and it was like yeah it was like the most badass thing of the season not to mention also gary sanchez winning the first round was also huge just because of uh logan morrison 
Yeah. I remember uh, being super pumped for that just because, like, you know, obviously everyone had saw what he said. And, um, and, and you know, that's something that we haven't really talked about a lot. But, I mean, Sanchez comes back into the season after the historic, unbelievable 2016, promptly gets hurt and uh, you know, tears his bicep and he's out for a month and then comes back and, and he's an all-star and he is one of the best catchers in baseball. Yeah, um, he had a great year. Obviously, there was some drama uh, in the second half with his past ball stuff when they were in Cleveland. And, and I don't know if that's why Joe Girardi got fired. Cashman said he knew he was going to fire him or not renew his contract going into the season, which to me is odd. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he has a great year. And not only that, he beat John Carlos Stanton in the first round. And, I mean, I know we're we're on the John Carlos Stanton train still. I haven't jumped completely off yet. <laughs> But John Carlos had some not great things that year. Uh, you know, he was tired of hearing about Aaron Judge and all this. So to have a Yankee kind of shut him down in his home ballpark, you know, he hit 16 dingers. Gary Sanchez hit 17. Um, you know, and away we go. Away we go. It's that's. Yeah. I've noticed you like to say that a lot in our in these lookbacks. Well, I'm just <laughs> away we go. That's all I got. All right. <laughs> no, that that was that's easily the most memorable home run derby of of my life. Yeah, and then then when they get into the second half, um, you know, Judge slumps a little bit, but they still reinforce the team by going out and getting Todd Frazier and almost more importantly Tommy Canley and David Robertson. Oh, definitely and, more importantly, and and also. Sonny Gray, which, you know, the, not that season wasn't his fault, the, the results he got. Um, but they reinforced the team enough to keep them in it. And in the second half, I think the holiday home run against Kimbrell happens in the second half. Yeah, it was, it was like it was like mid yeah. to late July. And then they have the they really don't have as many great moments in that that span. I feel like I, I know Torres has a walk off single in there somewhere. But the next great moment happens in Detroit in a game that they actually wind up losing. Yeah, uh, that game was ridiculous. Chap- Chapman's lost his closing job. And, um, and uh, yeah, th- there's a huge brawl. And Austin, <laughs> Austin Romine, like, that's like, I wish people didn't. Um, I wish I, I wish the people didn't build up Romine to be more than he was because if he was just like backup catcher cult hero that'd be so fun because uh, Jason Varitek take notes when you're going to fight somebody take your mask off. Yeah, he takes it off and stares uh, Miggy down, and then I, I don't know. The best part about that whole thing to me was a we get the Robertson running out of the bullpen gif, and then b um, CC just like laughing at some point during the uh, during the whole thing, which was which I thought was hysterical. Um, but yeah, it always seems like with every like memorable Yankee season, there's always like one big like '98. You had you had the big brawl. Like there just always seems to be this like one ridiculous incident. And um, and then we saw Judge come running in and just like basically peeling guys off of this pile as if they were like just like insignificant 
bags of trash. Like it's taking literally no effort for him to just lift these guys up and, and remove them. Then we saw Sanchez run in and try to sneak a couple punches in on, on Miguel Cabrera. So he got suspended. It, it was, it was wild, but um, yeah, obviously certainly one of the more memorable um, moments of the second half. And D, D- Rob running dot gif. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, oh, and uh, that also was the John boy like his first moment, right? Like the breakdown of that fight mm-hmm. was like really when I think I first found out about him, which becomes a great part of Yankee Twitter and, uh, his breakdowns were great. And his piece on Ellsbury during that fight is hilarious. <laughs> um, I think the only other game that stuck out during the second half was, um, it was another one against the Red Sox. It was when they had that five run eighth inning. Oh, the game where Hicks hit the two yeah, run homer where he has the, the great run. reaction. Yeah. yeah. Was that and, the same uh, game that he Nunez. throws? Um, yeah, Nunez. Yeah, right. <laughs> who who knew that Nunez wasn't the best base runner? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that was a great game. I mean, the Red Sox had won eight in a row before that game. So yeah, that, that was a uh, that was really cool. Yeah, that was a a Saturday night game, and then the Sunday night Chapman gives up the homer to Devers. Yes, yeah, that was like just like. Yeah, lefty on lefty. That was uh, um, what's his name? Um, uh, we're talking about John Boy. This guy works for John Boy now too. But he, oh, that was oh like yeah, the uh, first, McFly. Um, yeah, Joe's McFly. Joe's McFly. Yeah, we. That was like the first time we. Um, yeah, we we, we see him go viral because he's like all pumped in the stands, and then just yeah. his reaction when when the ball goes out. We got introduced to a lot of personalities, <laughs> which was fun. I mean, it makes it makes me a fan better. And then, you know, we already talked about that game in the second half where they beat the Red Sox and then they just, you know, they're like Rocky. They just keep coming at you. And uh, and they, they march right into the playoffs. I think they finished two games back of Boston. And we get to the wild card game. And Dad offers to, to take everybody. But I have grad school that night and choose not to miss my class. And kind of regret it. <sighs> but you were there. So uh, what was what was it like, the first I mean, 2015, they make the wild card game, but I don't think anybody had any delusions that that team was going to do anything. But what's it what's it like at the stadium where you have this upstart group that people are getting really pumped about? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. It was that was the that's I think the uh, I think the most like and buzz of anticipation I've ever felt outside of the stadium before a game was that and game one of 2009 World Series, because that was their first year back in the World Series. And um since 2003 and then now here's like and again like you said you guys were at the game in 2015 the wild card game i wasn't but i agree i i honestly had no hope really whatsoever that they were going to win that game well i'll i'll tell you something about that game i i I have been to playoff games in 2009 10 11 12 2015 wildcard game, the first inning with Tanaka on the mound, it was like the crowd was trying to get him through it. That was the loudest I had heard the new Yankee stadium other than Jeter's last game in 2014. Um, So it was weird. It was like in 2015, people kind of came out that hadn't been coming out to the ballpark before. But then in 2017, they just, I mean, I I went to a game, the, the ALCS and ALDS, but, you know, they took it to the next level in 2017. Yeah, no, they they did. I mean, that first inning is one of the most memorable innings of any game I've ever been to. And obviously it wasn't great in the moment, but just, I mean, like, you got your money's worth in one inning. Like, the, the game was on the line in the top of the first inning. Like, the 
when when Chad Green came in, and I mean, and he was unbelievable. I, I think people forget like because the Yankees wound up winning pretty easily, but if Chad Green doesn't come on and and, and close the door on the first inning with with the minimal da- well not minimal they scored three runs but held the fort there. It could have been a it could have been a different outcome if they if they go down by even more than three nothing in the top of the first inning. So Chad Green was was huge. Yeah, the first couple innings of that game have everything you want in a playoff game where you have lead changes, you have big relief performances, and you have aggressive managing with with Girardi going out there and and making a great move and bringing in Chad Green to come in and get a strikeout pitcher, not going to a long guy. you know, it was it was weird. The game mimicked like certain games of the past. And obviously 2003 comes up anytime you have a, a, a early relief appearance by by somebody or or anything like that. And just the DD home run is, you know, I've watched that like 5000 times in, yeah. in, you know, English, Spanish, WFAN <laughs> call the, 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 you know, the um the ESPN call. It's, it's a great moment. I can't imagine what it was like to be there. Judge hits a home run in that game later in the game to go from a one run lead to, to not Gardner adds in a home run after he gets almost knocked down. Yeah. That was one of the most underrated moments of the game. Cause you had Gardner hitting the go ahead home run, but also gives the stare styling. Down. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. Back to the DD home run. That's that, that's to me, that would be my top moment of the season. That's probably one of the most memorable home runs of a game that I've been to. It was, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty incredible. I mean, it had the, uh, it had the energy in the stadium of like a walk off. Cause you just realized like, yeah. you just These are the twins. This, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the twins. We're going to win. It's going to be fine. And, um, and yeah, away we go. Right. Oh yeah. Away <laughs> we go. But no, I, I, I would put DD second after the, the Sanchez double in the ALCS because it was just like, okay, we're going to get to the next round where the Windians are, are waiting. But, um, uh, th- the cool thing about that game is that uh, immediately with that group, there were heroes that you were always going to be like, we're going back to this. And one of them is DD for hitting the home run. Another one is, uh, Chad green for coming in and doing the job that he does. And another one is David Robertson pitching, into a third inning, um, you know, basically till his arm falls off and, you know, he, uh, turns, uh, turns Gary Sanchez into, uh, what's the guy's name from game of Thrones? The Varus or Varus? Varus. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was uh, another good, uh, that was another good David Robertson gif is the close up of his reaction after that. (laughs) So yeah, they're like, there's immediately guys that you turn to and, and do these great things. And then, they go to Cleveland and they go down 2-0. In game two, it looks like it all just can't comes undone with Girardi not challenging the play and then his explanation. But I thought he did. A, Girardi does a really good thing in that a lot of times when people make a mistake, they just kind of like double down. But he admitted he made a mistake and that he shouldn't have said that. And I thought that was really big of him and that he apologized to the team for that. And the Yankees are able to then move on and turn the page. And we get new heroes in the division series. We're down 2-0, game three. I mean, it's put up or shut up time. And uh, Tanaka throws one of the greatest games I've ever seen pitch given the situation, especially runner on third, one out. I think it's like the third or the fourth inning. It's still a 0-0 game. And he strikes out Jose Ramirez and Bruce, who Jay Bruce had a monster. Yeah, he, was, kill- he was killing it after he uh, came from the Mets. 
And then later in the game, Lindor hits one and, and judge robs him in one of the great moments. And then Greg bird, I, I mean, look, Greg bird became what he became, but that home run right there is one of the all time greatest moments I've seen at, at the new stadium place just goes nuts when he hits a home run off Andrew Miller lefty on lefty. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know what your impressions were from that game. Just being at it, like seeing a one, nothing pitchers duel when you're, when your season is literally on the line, what's better than that? Yeah, no, that's, those are my favorite kind of games is like big games by starting pitchers when the season's on the line. So my biggest takeaway from that was Tanaka, just cause I, I love Tanaka. He's one of my favorite Yankees, but that was like, the beginning of Tanaka being this dominant postseason performer and dominant big game pitcher. Um, and another one, just real, a real quick callback. Another great moment from this season was him and Darvish battling in that pitcher's duel. Mm-hmm. Um, that just made me think of that. But yeah, I mean the the bird home run was was unreal. And just like for Tanaka to come out and and have that performance after what happened in Game Two, like I I feel like I usually keep my emotions pretty level-headed but after game two i just remember being like girardi needs to be fired like i was so mad just because it it had been so you know watching the replay it's just so obvious and um and sanchez knew it too with him calling to the dugout so it was it was just a really bad moment so for tanaka to come out and like give the yankees immediate hope of like you know i'm gonna be on my a game like we're gonna have a chance to win this game that will that was that was huge and then like it was just the perfect turn of events because after that awesome pitcher's duel, like they tag Bauer early in, in game four. And then like, you realize that the series is going to go back to, to Cleveland. I, yeah. And I think a lot of it, Bauer's blocking people on Twitter during the game, which <laughs> I, I feel like Bauer a little bit more in the last couple months. Bauer's but, been doing some good stuff with base since baseball has been, been gone. Yeah, that's been that that game was so much fun. And I mean, Sanchez hits a home run in that game, too. Judge has the double uh, in the corner. It, it was just great game. Or Joe Urshela for the Indians made a big error in that game. Both just rocketed off his shin. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Yankees go and and, and they fly off to Cleveland. And, and, you know, I remember like. I think game five game game two was a Friday afternoon. And I remember waking up Saturday morning and I was just like looking at the ceiling. Like, why didn't he challenge? Like <laughs> we'd be tied at one right now. We just need to win two games. But then like you compare that to waking up the morning after game four, you have an off day before game five. And you're just like, Oh, we're going to go in there. And like, we hit Kluber really well last time. And now we got everybody in the bullpen on a day of rest and they didn't have to tax them too bad in game four. Like we got a shot and game game uh, five. I mean, <laughs> CC like just shoves for the first couple innings until he gets a little bit tired. Robertson again comes in, gets a monster double play and great uh, CC reaction after the double play. He's got oh, the fattest yeah. lip in and he's just like <laughs> pounding the dugout rail, like barely even able to speak probably because of how big this lip is. But he's just like going nuts. That was great. And, 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 Dude, Didi, again, like just continuing yeah. what he's done and in the postseason, just such a clutch hitter. Two home runs off Corey Kluber. That's insane. Yeah, no, it was great. It was that was um, talk about like your perfect start for a do or die game on the road. Didi certainly provided that. I, I was in I had class that night 
and, you know, like a three hour class to give you a little break in the middle. And our break was right at the time the game started. So I just, I had a little radio with me and I turned it on and the professor's like, okay, we're going to get started now. And right after he said that, I was about to turn the radio off and Sterling went to, it is high, it is far for the first DD home run. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was a really cool moment. Then I get to get home. Actually, I, I ran to mom's cause she lived closer to school than I did. And I watched the rest of the game with Kyle and we see, you know, Cleveland cuts it to three, two, and then Gardner up in the ninth inning. And one of the more epic at bats we've ever seen. Oh yeah. And, and uh, Gio, Gio Urshela again had a big hit against CC during when the when Cleveland was making that comeback. But yeah, but <laughs> then we get to the then we get to the ninth inning, and yeah, I mean Gardner's at bat was that that's one of the, that's another one of the top moments of, of the season for me, and just like how much he battled, and then um, and and Frazier scoring from uh, you know from first base on that or whatever it was. Yeah. When the ball gets away, it was very uh, Bernie esque from the 96 ALCS when the ball just rolls away. Um, And, and Frazier is probably still concerned about getting that ball from the last strike, making sure the the batter gets tagged. (laughs) (laughs) And that was Chapman's best moment as a Yankee is his, whatever he says, his reaction. I I would love to know what it was, but yeah, that was great. It looked like at first I thought he had said like believe land or something, which would have been incredibly epic, but it looks like he said he, he said something else, but it was probably yeah. said something in Spanish, like <laughs> language. It was it was awesome though. That was a uh, yeah. I, I mean, the completing that comeback against Cleveland, who you know had won what twenty two straight games that season, one hundred and two overall. They looked like an absolute machine after reaching the World Series the year before. That was one of and the they highlights. Had lost, they hadn't lost three in a row since like May. Yeah. Um, and then we go to Houston. Do you tell that son of a bitch no Yankee is going to Houston? <laughs> yeah, game two, game two was a uh, was a, was a heartbreaker. Keeping um, with the trend. Yeah, that that was a uh, that was another time you would have liked to have seen Sanchez take his mask off. Oh no, we, we were talking about Romine taking his mask off yeah. earlier. But this was a time we would have liked to have seen Sanchez maybe take his mask off. There probably was a play at the plate on Altuve. Yeah. Um. um. It's a tough game, but even if even if they don't score there, there's still plenty of opportunity for Houston to win that game. So I don't I don't think like I don't think back on that too much. Like I think I would have thought back on it if it was a game more like the one in Cleveland where they had it right there. This one was just like they had the chance to keep playing right there, not to win necessarily. Yeah, honestly, the uh, biggest thing that sticks out to me about those games was uh, Frazier's ball getting stuck in the fence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Just talking and, about and, like, wild shit that can happen in such a big game like that. The, those games also showed us how slow Greg Bird is. Um, yeah. But away we go to Yankee Stadium after game two, and we go to game three of the ALCS. Yeah. And I um, wish we waited another day, but that was still pretty cool. Oh, we saw a great game. I mean, oh, regardless, no, yeah. like you get to see the the Frazier hits the – I don't still don't know how he hits the home <laughs> run in the second inning. We see Judge – this this game, too, is the turning point for Aaron Judge – where he becomes this great postseason player. He hits the home run, a three-run homer, and then after that, he's just a beast the rest of the series, and he was a beast in 2018, and he was great in the postseason 2019, too. Um, after having started the postseason, except for the wild card game rather poorly, um, he gets going, and uh, CC turns in a great performance in Game 3. Judge also makes a great catch, and um, I think my memories of that game are the Judge homer, the Frazier home run, and CC talking uh, smack to, to Josh Reddick. Yeah, weak ass motherfucker. 
think yeah, he said was, something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was funny. Um, and then we get to game four. Uh, another one I'm in class for, but I'm listening on my little radio even while class is going on because this craziness is unfolding. But they go down four nothing. Looks really bad. Judge hits a solo homer, which was a Didi, mammoth yeah. home run to dead center, similar Wakes. to his first career home run. Yeah, woke everybody up, and then Didi hits a triple. And uh, they cut it to four two, and then and then one of my favorite innings in recent memory, we go to the bottom of the eighth, down four two, and it also has one of my favorite moments. Um, and I'm not talking about the Sanchez double; I'm talking about the Headley double because <laughs> that was. <laughs> I mean, you just you just look at like how fragile, um, like a win, but like the fragility between a win and a loss. Like, imagine if Altuve actually was standing on second base where he was supposed to be. If you go back to the replay, he's like almost a full step behind second base, so he has to reach in to try to tag Headley, yep. and it's just enough room for Headley to slide in, and then he slams the ground because he's mad at himself for looking like such a, a clumsy idiot because he yeah. fell <laughs> um, well, for, yeah Frazier has to hit and I don't know if you remember this but after the Headley double I was so I was listening on a radio in class trying not to be seen with my little radio in my ear I said I'm listening to John describe this what the hell is going <laughs> on <laughs> yeah I can't imagine the confusion that was probably going on there oh worth worth every second though oh yeah like listening to John Sterling call a playoff game is is awesome Yep. regardless of sometimes if like you're a little worried if like a ball is going to go out or not mm-hmm. but that's just the aspect of radio you can't see it but uh, yeah it was it was really you get two hits by kind of these role players in Headley and Frazier and, and Gardner does a job by getting the runner in and the other runner over by the way Jacoby Ellsbury pinch runs proof he was still on the team at this point oh you, you don't need that proof he was a DH at one point during the 2017 postseason yeah, I, th- I think that was the game against the Indians. Yeah. I, I, um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, postseason hero Aaron Judge <laughs> hits one off the wall with that guy in the cardigan reaching over trying <laughs> to catch it. And uh, Didi hits a little infield single, and Sanchez hits this crazy double. And I remember when Sanchez hits the double, I'm like, dude, we we might go to the World Series here. Yeah, that was when I first started first started thinking about it. And then, like, obviously one of the first things in your mind is, like, well, we have to get through Keigel first, who has always given the Yankees trouble. And they don't have any problems with him. That was kind of like when the – that was kind of like the Yankees finally figure out Keigel moment because they knocked him around. Bird had a big hit. Um, Sanchez had a, had a big hit during that rally. And then Sanchez wound up hitting a home run later in the game. Judge had, had a, a great bat too. drop too. I ju- judge hit like a double down the line and Gardner scored from first on it. Yeah, I, think. Yep. I remember seeing Gardner fly around like that was a big moment. And then, yeah, ju- uh, Sanchez hits that home run late. Tanaka, I, they went Tanaka straight to Canely that game, right? Yeah. Tanaka had like 10 Ks, another great strikeout in reaction. And uh, I mean, that's like the last good moment that, it, you know, but I mean, they win that game and you're just like, they're not going to lose. Like at that point, you're like, they're not losing to Morton because they just tagged him in game three. And we'd have Cece on the mound. Even if we can't beat Verlander in game six, we're going to wrap this up in seven. And then, of course, it all comes undone in Houston. I don't think we really need to get into those games. <laughs> they're no. banging on trash cans and we're absolutely exhausted from what we have been through in the last two weeks. Um and it's just not a good strategy. But, um, yeah, that game five is like the last good moment um, of the season. But it was really special. And we got, I mean, so many really good moments out of that run. Um, and I guess the only question I have for you is like the aftermath. 
wow, this is going to be a really long episode, by the way, um, <laughs> is the aftermath. Um, are you, what do you think of the decision to not bring to- Girardi back after what he did with this team in 2017? Looking back on it two years later now. Yeah, I was, I was really hesitant when that happened. I was like, well, I'm not sure about this. And then, and then you start hearing about um, how they wanted someone who could communicate with, with the players uh, a little better. And I, I think as time goes by, it's only more, I'm only more and more understanding of it because you see how Boone is with the with the players with the media's relationship with the team he had catch with Garrett Cole yesterday for crying out loud so (laughs) so yeah no I was really hesitant at first and to be honest I was like hoping they would um I was hoping for Hensley Mullins and then they picked Boone and um I know I know you had your issues with him that first season but um no I I I was understanding I, I by that point I had gotten over the um game two 2017 winning the series obviously helped um but yeah that that was still shocking but uh, i think it was uh i think it was the right move given how how boone's done yeah i um you know as i said i think after the 2019 postseason i the, the, the big takeaway is that the yankees do have a guy in the dugout that i trust and i didn't feel that way after 2018 but to be fair he was learning um but um i still it doesn't sit right with me what happened with Girardi. Um, you know, not, I don't hold that against Boone. I actually do like Boone now, but I always felt like Girardi was smart baseball guy. And while I think he was very reactionary at times, I think he always did the right thing in retrospect. Like if it was apologizing for making a mistake, I thought he was very honest, but we don't know what it was like in the clubhouse. It's just surprising to me that they did kick some dirt on him on the way out. Like, Oh, we were going to fire him no matter what. Yeah. Like, if you won the World Series, you would have fired your manager. <laughs> yeah, that, that was weird. That yeah, that that was really weird to me. Um, but I wish Girardi and Didi and D Rob and Andrew McCutcheon nothing but success in Philly. And um, now, if they play the Yankees in the World Series, then it'll be a different story. But otherwise, um, nothing but success. Um, Girardi did a lot of really good things for the Yankees and brought a lot of subpar teams to respectability and keeping that tradition of never having a sub five hundred season. Um, but yeah, 2017 was a really special year. And I mean, if you have any closing thoughts, cool. If not, you could pick what season we'll do next. Um, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to pick is, I mean, another one with a painful ending, but it was a fun season leading into, it. I'm going to go 2012. Okay. That's an interesting one. Pretty yeah. much a totally different group. That yeah. was a fun year. Yeah, I like hopping between different eras so things are kept fresh. So, all right, that's what we'll talk about next week. But um, anything you're looking forward to before then, aside from playing more of the show? Uh, that, that's it. I got nothing <laughs> else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant some grass seed today when I'm done working. So that, that's it. Sounds I got, good. I got nothing going on. Me neither. I think we should wipe out this segment because yeah. we're just doing nothing but being stuck in the house. Which is what everyone should be doing, though. It's, it sucks, but it's necessary. Yeah, um, I, I don't know what the lieutenant and governor of Texas is thinking, but, I mean, I'll stay inside for as long as I have to if it means, like, one more day that my grandparents get to live, like, let alone, like, you know, yeah. whatever. He's like the most no-brainer. <laughs> it's the most no-brainer decision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you could take all my money and everything, and, uh, you know, if it lets my family live a little bit longer, that, that it's worth it. So... Anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Hopefully, um, hopefully, uh, 
everybody at home can watch some old Yankee opening day highlights or just Yankee highlights because today should have been opening day. But uh, we're doing the responsible thing and we're skipping that uh, for the betterment of everybody. That's right. So I hope everyone uh, enjoys this episode and gets us through the uh, sadness of the opening day that wasn't. And um, we'll be back next week to talk about 2012. And if there's any other um, new news in the baseball world, we'll obviously talk about that as well. Huge thanks to Kylie Daniel. McDaniel, sorry, and we'll talk to everybody next week. See you later, everybody.